Welcome to the Small Church Podcast, where faith, community, and ministry intersect in the unique context of smaller congregations. I'm your host, Tony Marr, and I'm thrilled to be joined by two men who are convinced they're a little bit more talented than I am. <laughs> that is right. I'm Robert Kill, one of those supposedly more talented guys, co-host and fellow small church leader. Together, we're here to explore the challenges, triumphs, and inspiring stories within the tight-knit communities that make up our smaller churches. And I'm Bruce Montgomery, the one here to bring even more to the table than these two and offer a unique perspective to our conversation. So whether you believe this talent hierarchy or not, you're in for a treat. If you're a pastor, a church member, or just curious about the world of leadership, you're in the right place. Each episode, we dive into topics that matter to you, from innovative ministry ideas to navigating the unique dynamics of a smaller congregation. So grab your cup of coffee, settle in, and let's journey together through the wonderful tapestry of small church life. This is the Small Church Podcast. All right. Well, Robert, you are official, man. You are officially a co-host part of the Small Church Podcast. How does it feel? I mean, I just like to thank everybody who helped me get to this point. I mean, it's the, the little people that kind of you step on the way to get to the... No, I'm joking. No, it feels great. And, and actually, Melissa and I were doing a... Um, uh, some headshots for our company yesterday, and we actually took a couple photos of ourselves. So you will actually have a photo maybe by the end of the week. No way. They can go on the website. Um, it's it's uh, yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. Things are really moving for you. <laughs> and man. I'm telling you, the world is my oyster right now. It it's only just... took us seven tries to record that new <laughs> intro. We have Bruce back with us today. Bruce, how are you doing? Well, after my face plant, I'm doing pretty well, and you can recognize me now when you see me. And you know, and children don't run from me. Uh, my wife, my wife, cut away much, much of the starring and things, and, and she's entering into a new new career of, of um, plastic surgery, a second career from nursing, and worries anytime I go outside. All right, so you're here. Is she waiting on you in the parking lot? I uh, had to stop her from getting in the car. Okay. How was your trip, Bruce? My trip over here? No. <laughs> I, I'm old enough. I think about small, small things now. The trip we went on the last week was to, was to Gatlinburg, and we always enjoy going there, and just getting with Carol is a wonderful time. And I think that's one of the things ministers need to do is just, just take time to be with their spouse, and and, so and to listen to your spouse, which I don't often do. That's the part I'm, I need help with. I realized as I was saying that how many different ways that could be taken. <laughs> your, your trip, your face planting. Oh man! I mean, well, and then he's telling a super like, and it's a very real thing. Like you know, I'll call it dating our spouses. I mean, especially I, I think it's always tough in, in any job. You've got to be so intentional if you want to love your family well. You've got to be intentional to date your spouse. But like he's in this super, especially in small churches. I think there's something unique. Um, like because you're so busy, you're stressed, you've usually got a full-time job, you've got something else, you're now the church is kind of a very full-time job, but it's only paying part of your salary, and then you probably might have kids, and you're bouncing all these things, and, and you can kind of get lost from that person. So Bruce is being very intentional, this great thing, and I'm still laughing about the fact that he's like, what trip are you talking about? Like the drive over here? I don't know. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna have to redo the intro and <laughs> cut, cut Robert out of it again. He's, he's gone. He's out. Oh, goodness. So where, where we're sitting right now, I'm not sure when this episode is actually going to air in the future, but where we're sitting right now, there are some major, major things that are happening in our world. Mm. Uh, the World Series is set. The Arizona Diamondbacks, you know, uh, punched their, their ticket. The Houston Asterix are not in 
the baseball playoffs anymore. So the world is a good place. The sun is shining. And the NBA season kicked off last night. The the Lakers lost again to the Denver Nuggets again. Uh, we just can't beat that team. But but the world's in a good place. Well, at least you're being humble. The teams that you follow, you're still listening to them and, and not throwing down, down the tubes. Yeah, well, the Dodgers season was over a while ago, so uh, we're already waiting on next year and following tracking free agency every day that hasn't even begun yet. I'm ready for that beautiful day in February when they say pitchers and catchers report. Oh, isn't that the greatest so, day? I'm so, I'm so ready for next down. year. I count it down. Yep, pitchers and catchers report. My youngest son um, is this huge baseball fan, plays baseball, and he's – he just loves Bryce Harper, and I still love him in spite of that, even Vegas though we're, we're Braves fans. But um, he was apparently like 6'1", 170 pounds when he was in eighth grade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just insane to me. But um, but he's he's so upset that Bryce didn't make it, and I'm going, how do you pull for the Phillies when you're a Braves fan? I just don't understand it's true. that at all. It's true. I love Bryce Harper. He's one of the I, he I thought he was going to start to pioneer a new thing that I don't know if you remember this, but he forgo forgo. How do you say that? <laughs> forgo forgo. For he forgot. <laughs> it wouldn't be forgot. He uh he left high school early. He foregoed his senior year of high school to go play college baseball, which uh at the time was pretty revolutionary. I thought, yeah. hey, he's he's doing something completely new. And Bryce, if you're out there listening, uh, Vegas born. Share the podcast. If he shared it. If he shared it, we would reach that. <laughs> it, would, it would be days. alive. Yeah. yeah, I remember when I was um, I was working for an affiliate of the um, the Minnesota Twins as a, uh, as a photographer. And we would have, especially these younger Dominican players who would come in. And these guys, I'm going, okay, I mean, these guys are 18, 20 years old. They're kind of getting through. They've come, and they've, and then I start doing research. And these kids are 16, 17 years old, and they're, I mean, they're still really young. And I'm going, you're maybe the most athletic player I have ever seen. Now, they were in a pretty low level of the program, but now these kids have all moved up, and they're still only, you know, 20, 21 with their life ahead of them, and they've had – four or five years of professional playing against guys like Vlad Jr. or, I mean, Brent Rooker who plays for the A's or, you know, I mean, just all these other all these other unbelievable players and this crazy, crazy talent, and they got to play against all these guys and stuff. So it was a lot of fun kind of seeing that. So, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Anyway, we've got other stuff to talk about, but I love baseball. Yeah, and so uh, kind of transitioning into uh, something that's more in line with what this podcast what this show is about uh today we're talking about mentorship and, and specifically a tribe of mentors and i'm i'm excited about this discussion because uh for the past 25 years one of my key mentors uh in life is sitting right to my right in bruce montgomery and uh, he's looking around right he's now. looking for somebody <laughs> he's else trying to find where they're at mm-hmm. uh but what, what we want to discuss today is this idea this this role of mentorship and leadership and i think that so often People, as they get older, they tend to switch their focus more to being a mentor than being mentored. And I had a, a eye-opening conversation. It wasn't really a conversation. It was more me listening uh, and, and getting an idea from someone many, many years ago. Uh, I was at a, a small church leadership uh, conference. It wasn't even a conference. It was a gathering of, of some people. And one of the guys who was leading it was Mark Driscoll. And I know that there are probably a lot of, of differing, maybe not even differing, but thoughts on Mark and his leadership and some of the things that he's gone through. But 
Uh, he's he's from all indications that that I get doing well in Arizona right now uh, with his church and. Uh, uh, regardless of what you think of his leadership style and some of the things that he's done, he's given some great insight into mm-hmm. the world of church leadership over the last several decades. And so I'm sitting in this seminar with him, uh, this conversation with him, and he's talking about uh, growth, personal growth, professional growth, leadership growth, all of that. And he says, he makes a comment that made everyone in the room, and there are maybe 10, 15 of us in the room, and he makes a comment that made every single one of us sit up in our chairs and our eyes pop out of our heads. He said, you don't need a mentor. He said, you've been told your whole life from, from the moment you were in adolescence that you need a mentor in your life. You don't need a mentor in your life. And everyone is looking at him like, oh, that's pretty counter to everything that we've heard. You're right. And he said, you need mentors in your mm-hmm. life. Um, he said, we have this idea that that one person is gonna be the go-all for us. And so if I can find this this older, wiser, uh, more experienced person and ask them to be my mentor and they will take me under my wing, then I'm gonna arrive. And he said, no one person is great at everything. He said, so you need to look at all the different roles that you play in your life, all the different areas that you have in your life and have a different mentor for every of them. If you can find one guy who's the perfect husband, who's the perfect father, who's the perfect preacher, who's the perfect leader, who's who's the perfect son, you know, if you can find that one guy, then great. Uh, But Jesus is not going to be your personal mentor sitting down for coffee with you once a month or once a week. And so you need to find someone who you respect greatly as a father and ask them to mentor you in that role. You need to find someone who you respect greatly as a husband and ask them to mentor you in that role. Someone who's a great leader who you respect in that role and ask them to mentor you in that and and have this tribe of mentors around you. I read a book recently by Tim Ferriss, uh, who uh, has one of the most a successful and popular podcast in the world, The Tim Ferriss Show. And he has a book called The Tribe of Mentors, where he talks about the many, many different mentors that he has in his life and kind of follows kind of that same principle that Mark had, that that for different areas, different walks, different roles that you play, you need to have different people that you're leaning into and that are investing and pouring into you. Yeah, it's... um. When I think about mentors, I think I always think about there's this scene. Remember the Titans, or not remember the Titans? Uh, Gone in sixty seconds, where somebody's trying to steal a car, and they try and steal the car from them, and he's like, "You don't know nothing about stealing cars. You need a role model." And I mean, that's how <laughs> I've kind of viewed my life a lot of times. It's like sometimes I walk into a situation, and I'm going, "I think I know what I'm doing. I really think I have a great idea." I mean, there's moments and times, whether it was ministry or creative things, that I was like, "Man, I've really got a." like a rhythm going here. I feel like I really know something, but I don't have anybody really speaking into my life in that moment. And all of a sudden I hit a wall of something and I'm going, man, I need, I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to help me do this. You like need I, an Eleanor. Yeah, I do. And I need a, I need somebody to walk into my life. But he always life. wrecks Eleanor. <laughs> he does. He always he wrecks Eleanor. Get... Um, and so I, I walk, always walk into these situations where I bump into somebody who's ahead of me that I'm going, man, I thought I knew something. And you told me in two seconds the things I didn't know. And it's, I've got this uh, friend who's who's in his 80s that's uh, in ministry. And I would say in ministry and in being a, a husband, father, that he has has mentored me for, for 20 years. And we've journeyed this thing, but he doesn't know the first thing about being a photographer. And so if he's who I went to to help me be a photographer, 
he he would be a terrible mentor. Yeah. He would love me well, and he would say, hey, I saw this book or this magazine at you know, the bookstore the other day that you should go grab, and I'm going, like, I can just get that on Amazon. I don't have to go to a bookstore. You know, and so we just don't have the same connections. But, no, I love that. I love what Mark said there, that we need that, need multiple people in our lives kind of speaking into them. So, Robert, how has, over the course of, of your leadership, the course of, of your journey uh, in church, out of church, how has mentorship uh, shaped you and, and been important to that journey? Yeah, you know, I mean, I even remember being in student ministry when I was a teenager, and at our church, the there was I was kind of in a weird phase. There were there were several kids like three years younger than me, and several kids kind of three years older than me, and I had to choose kind of which group I was going to hang out with. And I hung out with the older group, and our youth pastor was pretty young and was barely above that age as well. And so I started spending a lot of time um, inside of that space and and doing that kind of conversation. And um, it really, really, really changed my life because of the time that David spent with me in that moment and that he shared and invested. And it really shaped me from kind of going down a path of probably mowing grass on a golf course, doing like golf course maintenance and things like that, to stepping into ministry because he was willing to sit and listen and listen to my life and care about my stories. And then I get into ministry and, and I end up, you know, at a job and, and, to get hired this one day just because I was around and I get this opportunity to work with this unbelievable pastor that was the head of the student ministry at this church, pretty large church. And, and he was, and he ends up working for the power team and he's a pastor at a huge church in Oklahoma now. And all these people had different things they taught me throughout time, Mm. but I learned leadership from one and I learned listening and compassion from another. And I learned how to, how to teach and how to really kind of embrace what's going on inside of your congregation and your society your community to invest in those things. And I just think it was a huge deal of how I was willing. And that was something I had to learn to be willing to listen to those people because what they had to say was important if I wanted to move forward at any part of my life. Yeah, that's great. Bruce, how about you? What has the role of mentors played in your journey? Probably not as much of a role as I, as I would hope to looking back on life. I actually just stumbled on mentors I, I would see people that I would see, see, relate to them and see them in certain roles and say, that's a person I'd like to be like. And some of the examples would be like Russ Blowers. Russ was a megachurch preacher in Indianapolis, and I grew up when, in high school when he was a preacher, and I met him then as a, as a preacher, and at, even at Milligan, and just saw his, the way he had, and his wife related and how he had family as a priority, and, and that was a really major part of his life and part of his ministry. And um, when his wife uh, developed cancer uh, and she died, um, he came to, and came to Milligan Chapel, and before all the students, they said, some of you think that I'm a, a hero. I'm not a hero. I'm, I'm just doing what I'm called to do. And uh, it's not it's not making me a hero. I'm just a person uh, doing uh, struggling through life. And I I just really admired that. Uh, he's he's actually the has his name as the main uh, roadway into Milligan University, but most of the students don't even know who he is. But I knew him as a friend, and his wife was a friend, and Carol uh, and and uh, our, our families would get together whenever we got back to Indianapolis. He would take time for us. And, uh, and he was a person who everybody looked up to because he'd reached up to us. He was in a church that was 6,000 or more, 
and he built it up from a small church. And uh, he, was, he was amazing. And then Roy Lawson is another one. I've just kind of listed him while we're going here today. Roy Lawson, again, was the same era as he, and I met him several times again in Indianapolis when he was a youth minister and then later in career, and he showed me how to love people. And uh, he's even responded a couple times, sent me things that out of the blue, just saying, appreciating me and, and ministry they have. So he's a great encourager, so I learned from him, uh, from Harold Davis, uh, a person who had uh, followed uh, the, the biggest uh, ministry in the, in the Christian churches that are in, in Canton, Ohio. He became from youth minister to the minister, and he was ministering when I was in a campus ministry and organization, uh, I learned from him. And all of them humble men. Uh, they were all, all humble and kind men. And then one other person I had to put down, uh, I was a campus minister in our churches before they knew campus ministry was and before they recognized you could go onto, onto campus. And so I went into a university campus as a missionary and a church planter. And I did just, just that. And the person I kind of had in my sights to, to see who, who, what's going on was a guy named Doug Dickey. And he uh, was an amazing, also kind, uh, uh, calm, uh, modest man and, and family man. So I have those four in my life and to look back to and look at. And um, it, they don't think they're heroes, but they really are. Yeah, I, I could sit here and spend 45 minutes listing off all the names of the people in my life that, that have played that role in my life at various times. But I think for me, especially in my, my younger days, uh, I had one, maybe two people that I really leaned into and had identified, you know, had gone to them and said, here's, here's what I'm looking for in a relationship with you. Can you provide this for me? Um, and here's what I would like to, this, that to look like. And then they would say, well, here's what it's going to look like. It's not what you're going <laughs> to like it to look like. Here's what it's going to look like if you want me in this role. Uh, but it wasn't until that conversation that I had with Driscoll that the idea that I needed multiple people that specialized in, in different things. And so I can remember when I first started going and talking to people and say, hey, I want you to be a voice in my life in this area. I really respect you for this. And I, I admire the way what I see from you in this certain role in this certain area. And I wonder if you would spend time with me in helping me to grow and develop in this certain area, how revolutionary that was, how much that that changed. And then when I made the transition uh, several years ago from full-time church ministry into some different avenues uh, and, and didn't know where to start in that, and uh, I was trying to get my feet into the professional storytelling uh, world and had a degree, had a master's degree in storytelling, which is actually a thing, and decided that I wanted to try to do something with that. And I needed someone to help me with that. And, and so I had to do a really, for me, was hard thing because I didn't know anyone in that world that had been successful as a professional performance storyteller. And so I made a list with the help actually of Bruce, made a list of people who I thought would be great mentors of mine. And we sent out emails and letters to all of these people. One of them I heard back from that said, that they would love to do it. Here's what it would cost for them to, to be my mentor. And it was more money than I had. And, and that wasn't going to work. Three others never heard back from. 
Uh, but one did write back and say they would love to to mentor me. And and that person has been a great friend, mentor, um, advisor over the course of the last six, seven years. Uh, just talked to him again last night. And uh, uh but that was difficult to reach out to someone that I didn't know, had never had a conversation. They didn't have any clue that I was alive and say, hey, I really admire you. I really respect what you're doing. Would you be willing to speak into the life of someone that you've never met before, never heard from? Uh, and uh, and the payoff for that was, was so, so tremendous. See, that was so you answered part of my question that I was going to ask you. And actually, when when we were looking at this is kind of some of the topics we're going to talk about, a couple of the notes kind of lean into this that I made lean into this thought. I was going to ask, how long had you known some of the people that you asked to kind of serve in this role of, of leadership, mentorship and guiding you? And you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm cold calling some of these, some of these people. Um, and, and I remember kind of either, there was a point in time, maybe coming right out of um, 2020, <clears throat> excuse me, coming out of 2020, when I was sitting in the space and Melissa and I were serving this arts and creative community inside of these Bible studies and conversations and, and faith things. And there was basically three people that I w- that we were looking at that were really uh, four, four that were really doing. And we sent something um, that I sent something to three of them and just kind of said, hey, let me tell you my story. You've been mentoring and shepherding and really pastoring me from afar and I would love if there a way is there a conversation that could lead to us maybe have you know having a little bit of a dialogue and some things probably didn't word it as well as you would have but you know I never I actually two of them I never heard back from the third one I didn't hear back from him but I heard back from his assistant and he just said to me hey this guy's pretty busy like he's, you know, writing books, he's doing this, he's doing this, he's got his own podcast, he's got shows. How can I serve you? Hmm. How could how could we help you from here? And I said, here's what I'm really sitting up against. And he said, I- I've got some books that I think would be a real benefit to you. And then you just kind of reach back out. And so they sent me like 10 books and we've read two or three of them over this year and a half or yeah, so yeah. that we, you know, as a part of the journey. And, um, and that meant a ton, but anyway, so that was going to be my first question. So were all of these cold, and then I've got one other thought that I want to hear you and Bruce kind of comment on, like, did, were all these cold calls, like you just kind of said, hey, I've watched you from afar, or were there some of them you had a little bit of a relationship with that you felt like you had some equity that you could cash in? Yeah, I think over the course of my life, some of them have been ones that I had long-standing relationships with. Others were ones that I had known of and maybe would have known of me, but then in two different areas, as we're talking about a tribe of mentors in different roles in different areas, and we'll dive into that a little bit more later, and specifically in that area of storytelling, I'd, I'd never had any contact with any of them. It was a complete cold call, complete cold call. And then in I on the side, I don't know that we've talked about this much on our, on our show, uh, I have some uh, properties, vacation rental properties mm-hmm. in Pigeon Forge and in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, that that 
I own and, and manage and do them on Airbnb, VRBO. And so if you're looking for a place to stay for a great vacation, visit smokiestosea.com. And you can find a great cabin or a great oceanfront condo. Small little plug there. This episode They're of the awesome, Small the Church yeah, Podcast. They, yeah, I like <clears throat> think that's appropriate. I do too. They're this awesome. episode of the Small Church Podcast brought to you by Smokies to Sea, well, your we were, vacation <laughs> destination. Well, and we were literally just talking. If you're sitting around going, man, I don't have a ton. I mean, like my wife and I tried to book them even just a couple weekends ago for a, a thing that we were at and it was already booked something got changed last minute and they were already booked but literally they were cheaper than the hotel that we ended up staying in and so don't tell people that robert but you're going to they're going to book them further out now they're not they're they're very comparable in price you're not going to pay it's not like they're a thousand dollars cheaper but i mean it's they're still like they're right there at that price or a little bit cheaper and you can get a much nicer place to stay and do some things and who knows tony may up his prices and they'd be twice as much by next week that's so, right um, but, but anyways so, in that world but they're amazing places you should stay. excuse me when i was getting into that world and decided that i didn't want to pay 40% to a property manager to manage my properties yeah. that I wanted to do it myself, but I didn't have a clue where to start. So same thing. I reached out to several guys that that I had seen on Facebook. You know, I, I joined some groups of property owners in the Smokies and property owners in Myrtle Beach, and uh, uh, then some guys that I watched that were pretty active in those groups. And I shot them messages and said, hey, would you be willing to have a quick phone call to talk me through some of this? And some people you never hear back from, others you did. And through that, I developed some relationships with people that I still communicate with regularly. One of those guys, I flat out said, hey, can I lean into you? You know, as I'm going down this journey, can I lean into you from time to time? And it's become more than just a time to time thing where uh, we have regular conversations. Sometimes it's through text, sometimes it's through Facebook, it's through phone a lot of times where where he's just someone that if I have a question about this industry, uh, about a market, um, when, when I was going into the Myrtle Beach market, I didn't have any clue about the Myrtle Beach market. It was completely different than the Smokies market. And so he was someone that I was really able to lean into, ask a lot of questions, get some great insight. And he saved me from making some really bad financial decisions. Um, and, and so, yeah, but I had no clue who he was. He had zero clue who I was. Um, before I reached out. And I think a big thing is in all of these stories, the, the stories of the the men and women that I reached out to for storytelling, the, the people that I reached out to for property management, uh, the people that you reached out to, we got a lot of no's and, and a lot of silence. Uh, Tim Ferriss in his book, he, he reached out because of his platform and uh, his name, he reached out to some people that... I wouldn't even have the nerve to shoot an email to. I mean, knowing that it would never get to them, I just wouldn't have the nerve to to send it to. I mean, he was sending Steve Jobs, you know, emails and, and voicemails saying, would you mentor me? And he says right at the beginning of his book, Tribe of Mentors, the vast majority of people that I reached out to, I either didn't hear from or said no. Uh, but one of the things that was really interesting is he said with these high-profile leaders, high, high essential leaders in, in the world, in government, in entertainment, um, in the finance industry, he, he reached out to people from all different walks of life, all different areas. He said many he didn't hear from at all, but some he got no's from, but the letters or emails that they sent back were so well thought out and so well written 
that he included a lot of them in his book, Tribe of Mentors, because he was so impressed. In fact, there's an entire chapter in his book, Tribe of Mentors, that one of the greatest lessons that he learned from his Tribe of Mentors was you have to be able to say no. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he said, but even in the way that a lot of them said no was so caring. And he flat out said in his book, I can't think of a time that this has happened to me personally, but I'm, I've probably blocked it out. That he said several people that he reached out to were, were men and women that he considered friends, that he had long-lasting relationships with, and they said no to being his mentor just because they didn't have the margins for it in their life right now. Yeah, no, that's a, there's a lot that's in that to unpack and to think through. I am, I think that we want, I think that we all understand that saying no is important, but say no to the next person, not me. Right. And and that's the hard thing is that we're going, man, why don't you see my passion? Don't you see how much I want to grow in this? Don't you see how much I care about this topic, subject, you know, idea that's floating around here? And and sometimes I think the thing we've got to remember, too, because there's some people now that I've asked to kind of mentor and step into my life that if they would have, they have gone so far away from what I think is wise or I think is a good choice and things like that. And, and people are going to go, oh, my goodness, he's talking about some of the things happening. I am not. It has nothing to do with anything that maybe is currently but it's just all these things that are going on and crazy. But like, you know, you know, years and years and years ago, I mean, it was just one of these ideas that, you know, when you'd reach out and then people just kind of shift their thinking on some things sometimes. And I'm going out, they would not have been a good mentor if that's where they were going. And so sometimes we've got to realize when people say no, that that is a, that is God saving us from, from getting into a bad situation. You know, I, I came out of Bible college and a mentor was not a thing we ever heard in our training for mm. ministry. We never heard that. We never heard looking to other people was kind of, you are alone. That's really interesting. <laughs> you go out there and do it. That was really what I did, even in campus ministry, even though I had Doug Dickey for the big ideas. Uh, I was really kind of alone. I just dropped into a university campus. Uh, I went to a Bible college of, of a few hundred. I was in a campus of 17,000, and I wanted to make an impact. And I just sat and absorbed and, and looked and, and listened and, and picked up on people. But I never really thought of, of, of mentor except like maybe Doug, Dickie, maybe, uh, maybe Russ Blowers. But I just thought of, of friends or people. And that's how I, I t- approached Russ. I became a friend, but I admired him. And so I, I listened to him, and we could, I could talk to him. He could be honest with me and would be honest with me. You know, I was going to ask, when Tony, when Tony was talking about the ones who mentored him, I was going to ask, how many, who are you mentoring now? Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's a major part of my role, uh, especially with what I do in higher ministries, um, that, that I have seven guys right now that I regularly coach, uh, work with. I think there's a difference between coaching and mentoring, uh, but but most of those guys I, I would think would see me in, in a mentoring role. Uh, I regularly have conversations with people uh, that a lot of times that I don't know in any way, especially in the area of the property management and short-term vacation rentals. Uh, I get a lot of people that reach out to me like I reached out to others and said, hey, would you have a quick couple minutes for a quick conversation. I'm thinking about getting into this. How can I, how can I do this? You know, what advice would you have for that? 
Um, but I think, I think one of the things, Bruce, is that as we get older, I think that we tend to, to have the opinion, the view of ourselves that now I'm older, I'm wiser, I've got a lot more experience under my belt, and I've now transitioned into that phase of being a mentor rather than needing a mentor. And uh, I would challenge every one of our listeners, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how much experience you have, that there's always someone that you can learn from. There's always someone that knows a little bit more than you, that has a little bit more experience than you. Uh, There's always someone that you can learn from. And so you're never too old to have that tribe of mentors. Yeah, and I mean, and that's, that's something that is always, and I've seen two types of people in this space as I've gone. I've seen people that like when you're, they're scared to mentor, either it's out of fear or, or kind of whatever the idea or the, the struggle that they're having, they don't want to, to be a mentor or have a mentor because they're afraid if they bring somebody along or if they get help from somebody else, they won't be seen as great. If they do it on their own, then they're great. And then they've really fought that path and they've kind of gone through that. Uh, and I heard a guy one time talking um, and he was sharing this. And I mean, I don't know, maybe everybody on here is a photography nerd, but in like huge basketball games and tournaments, they hang lights from the rafters or um, they hang up cameras from the rafters in the ceilings that are mounted and run from remotes. And so when you see a cool basketball shot, that is over top of the paint and you see people jumping up for a ball and all these faces and all these great expressions that comes because there's a camera that's mounted and somebody's pushing a button from the floor. Well, that's that camera's preset, it's pre-focused and everything, but there's not enough light to push that shot through. So they hang these monstrous strobes up there as well at these umbrellas that are, you know, as big as the church building we're sitting in. And, and they just bounce this light down to the thing. And this guy doing this interview, talking through this thing, he just said, why in the world would you tell that with people? He said, because if the only thing stopping someone from being a better photographer than me is the fact that they don't know about that umbrella or they don't understand how to set that camera up, they deserve to have the job, not me. And we have to live in a space where we are not afraid of someone else being successful and going through and so we have to be willing to kind of share, but we also have to be humble enough to ask for that help as well on that side. With those, with what you described, now I understand why my MBA career was so short. I, <laughs> they I were, they were at terrified the of you. I was looking oh, at the oh, your MBA, the time, yeah, yeah. Couldn't see the basket. Uh, it's, you know, I, I think that some of us who are listening today, and even us, we've had some mentors in our lives we didn't even recognize were our mentors. We just said we, we, we walked alongside of them and saw them and what they did. And, and I think uh, some people don't think they can mentor. They don't think they have anything to teach anybody. Uh, so when, if you ask them to mentor you, they're saying, well, that's like the blind stumbling after the blind. But you're willing to walk with me. If, if that would happen, that's great. But ministry can be a, a lone wolf kind of. A, a, yeah. And, and the way I came out of Bible college and the way I came out of seminary, there weren't a lot of relationships. Mm. There that I w- that I would say the, the peers for things. Sometimes I didn't dis- I didn't agree with the faculty. I went to a couple seminaries that I didn't theologically agree with, and so I wasn't finding t- uh, mentors there. Uh, so I actually found them as I ministered. I would see people, and uh, I was usually pretty highly educated for the area where I was I was in. So I I, I really didn't look around me 
and, and that sounds like egotistical. I didn't look around me for, for mentors, um, but, but I looked beyond that to find people in, in a bigger church or find people doing something, uh, find a book. Uh, I never really did write to an author of a book that would you do this, uh, but I, I think that's a great idea. And, uh, but, I, but I partnered up with people that I, that I admired who were doing things, and maybe they didn't even know it. I just looked at the, what they were doing, but that was how they mentored. That's how they mentored me, and mentoring really didn't um, become a part of my life until later in ministry, probably when in ministry in about twenty year point, where I was in campus ministry, and and we'd gone through one series, and nobody was out there to help me because nobody else had done it. Huh, yeah, and so we had to, we had to figure it out, and then there was a change. The whole everything in in air education changed. The students changed, and I just felt out of touch. And I, did, I started looking for mentors there, looking for people there who could tell me, what, what are you seeing about this generation of university students that that can can help me, or how can I do that? Because uh, you know I love them and we work with them, but I just I feel like a dried up well right now. And that led me to do to move out of ministry for a while, and and, and get into parachurch ministry, but uh, and there was nobody there give me a yeah. mo- give me a model, and so I was flying blind again, and and came into a church that um, was a historical church in our in our brotherhood, but it had a lot of troubles. And when I got there, uh, they were, there was a, a lot. It was a turmoil. And, and I went there because I felt God led me there. And in it, I had the best time of my life. And I, and I actually let the people there in the church become some of the mentors for me, some of my elders, uh, talking to them about things and about how to, to minister and do this. And, and, and that, that made both of us grow. Yeah. And so that was, that was helpful. But uh, to say I grew up with the idea of mentor, uh-uh. Can I ask you a couple questions inside of that? I guess I've got a couple th- thoughts and then a question to ask inside of that. Like, I think the the world's gotten a lot flatter because of technology. I, I would say it, when when you were coming out of college and and you were looking in those spaces, I mean, you probably had to actually track down a physical mailing address of someone, or somehow get you know the the yellow pages from their particular neighborhood and and call them or write them and then hope that they would take the time to correspond with a phone call or a... a but I'm not sure a, they had phones back then. <laughs> we, we, we had pigeons. Okay. And we would tie the note to a pigeon and send it to the right place. Yeah. Uh, the, we didn't have any of that. We didn't... There was no internet. There was... I, the first time I was on the internet was when I came to Milligan University and was a faculty member. I said, oh, what's this? Email, what's this? And, and even there, nobody taught me what it was or how to do it. That's why when you, I work with you guys, it sounds so screwy uh, because I've I'm, I'm got things messed up. Uh, you're right. There, there, there weren't, when I, was, when I was growing up, part of the lonely, the lonely thing would be uh, the way to get over it is to get onto a big staff church or get into a community of churches, a small churches like we're talking to here, and, and develop a peer relationships. And, and honestly, I found them hard to develop with, with, with ministers who were my, my peers because there, there was kind of a competition. You know, you, you go, to, go to ministers' meetings. Well, how many do you have in church Sunday? Well, I have this many. 
and and some guys it was a it was a big pride thing, and nobody was sharing their weaknesses. It was a fishing contest. Who had the biggest fish? And yeah. every, every time they told the story, it got bigger. Yeah, yeah. And, and when we got together, we we didn't tell the story about failure, unless it was a really blatant failure, and everybody mm-hmm. knew about it. But we we didn't. We just struggled. We just sucked it up and and went on. And so I think I grew up in a, in the age or generation of ministers who, and maybe some of you out there right now in a small church, think you're alone, and there's nothing, there's no way for, to get help. And, and what we've just talked about, email, oh, texting, are things you can do with us, and, and uh, maybe we can help you get over a hurdle or talk you through something or give you encouragement and, and become a mentor. We're, we're willing to do that, and that's, some, that's why we started this whole thing that we're doing is to, to we, we, we've been mentoring people through higher ministries. We want to become proactive instead of reactive, and this is our, way, our first step in being proactive in terms of mentoring people. Yeah, and it's important to understand that there's a, a big difference between an accountability partner, a mentor, a coach. Uh, a mentor doesn't have to be a friend. Uh, there's no guidelines on mentorship that we have to meet when you're asking someone, hey, would you mentor me? Robert, would you mentor me? And what that entails is that we need to meet for coffee every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. There's there's not that. Uh, someone mentoring you, can it, it doesn't need to be a regular committed thing. It can simply just be, you're someone that if I have a question come up, if I have an issue come up in relation to this, can I shoot off an email to you? Can I give you a phone call? And expect a response back. And that kind of answers part of the question that I wanted to throw out kind of based on this is in a world today to where it's so easy to grab information. I think about one of the first podcasts I was a part of. We were talking about you've actually got one of his books laying over there. um, Bruce, you get Dr. Mulvihill. And we were talking about that, and you're going, yeah, he wrote these books based off of a huge research project that he did that I'd love to get. And I jumped on my iPad, and in two seconds, I was like, what's your email? And I sent him this dissertation. It was like 200 pages because it's so easy to get information. Sometimes we can feel talking about how the how the Internet and kind of technologies flatten the world a little bit. It's a lot easier for me and Tony. You talk about reaching out to people. I mean, Tony and I both emailed and or messaged people that we'd never spoken to in our lives and would, don't don't know who we are from Adam's house cap that they would literally I mean that we got access to because of social media or email and websites and all these other things but do that you you can answer this a little bit Tony like how important is it to not just let the internet be your mentor and to get actual people voices that whether that whether you're communicating now you might communicate through technology maybe they're not present in your life maybe they can't sit with you at coffee every week maybe you only email once a month or you text and you have a checklist of things that you send them updates throughout a month that you're working on as a part of your goal to grow in the area that they're shepherding you but what does that look like to i mean how important is it i mean to not to have a physical person not just the internet, Google, or an AI bot that's trying to help you move forward. Well, our circumstances are unique. And so the each individual instance is different, looks a little different. Your particular situation is going to be different, maybe than something that anyone else has ever has ever dealt with before. So having that personalized <laughs> touch to to what you're needing help with, the question that you have, uh, I think is is critical. And, but I think another important thing, Robert, is that 
not everything that our mentors say to us is something that we need to implement, mm. uh, mm -hmm. that we're going to get a lot of information thrown at us and we have to evaluate it through our circumstance. And just because someone that I greatly admire, greatly respect, love where they're at and they're where I want to get to um, in, a, in a, a various circumstance doesn't mean that everything that they have experienced is going to work for me. And so we have to be able to evaluate that through our circumstance, through our situation, and be able to see, does this make sense for me? Maybe it doesn't at all. And if that's the case, you don't use it. Just because someone you admire has given you some advice doesn't mean that you have to take it. Yeah, no, that's a great thought. Um, I, one, one thought that I'd had that I heard some a pastor say years ago, and just if you're out there and you're going, man, this is all great, guys, and I'm willing to, to cold call anybody on the planet— I had a pastor one time just say that you know you shouldn't ask someone to be your mentor because it's a it's a big commitment. He's like, well, what you should have if there's someone you respect and someone you do, you should have a list of some questions. And if you're ever at a moment that you're across the table from them, if you're ever at a moment that you have access to or the opportunity, or you feel like you're at a place where this is the person that I really just need to reach out to. Don't don't ask, hey, would you mentor me? Because this is this ongoing, never-ending thing. But, hey, I was reading your book the other day. I've been reading your books over the last—I've been listening to your podcast for the last two years, and these are some things that stood out to me. And I've really had these two questions. Is that something you would have a minute to answer? Because it would really that. help me as I'm stepping through. And and I've tried to—I've tried to kind of process that— and and things and so when I'm reading a book or going through I'm going okay if this was a person uh, because sometimes I mean again like the world with planes and so many things we can we can get places fast and the world's kind of connected and you just never know when you're going to be sitting in a room and somebody's going to show up there that you really value and you get a chance to somehow sit across the table from them or you know, sit in a you know, airplane seat next to them or something, and you, you might have a chance on a 45-minute or a two-hour flight to go, man, I, I don't want to take up your time a ton. I just want you to know I know who you are. You have impacted my life so much through this, this, and this, and I just want to say thanks. And that might lead to a conversation where you get a chance to ask some questions that really adds value. But, yeah, anyway, that's just something that has been really big for me over the last couple of years. Yeah, I was think, thinking of two specific circumstances in relation to your question of, can I just get this information off of the Internet? Uh, when I had been a part of a couple of different church plant teams uh, and, and started some churches that did really well in different areas of the country, and uh, uh, I was in the process, uh, the beginning stages of planting a new church in an area that I had never lived before, had never ha worked in, in leadership in this area before, it would have been very easy for me to just take all of the knowledge that I had gained from many, many other people that had done very successful church plants in the past. I, I could have spent a lot of time, and I did, talking to people that I knew and respected and loved and knew a lot more than me about church planting. Um, I had a coach during that time that, that I would have considered a mentor that lived in another part of the country that was a church planter that I talked with regularly. But I also knew I needed to talk to someone who knew that community. I needed someone 
in my life that I could go to with questions about we're looking at maybe this neighborhood. How does this neighborhood fit? We're looking at maybe partnering with this organization. That was not information that I could have gotten off of the internet. That was not information that I could have gotten from listening to a podcast. I needed to have somebody there who knew that area better than, than I could know, had in-depth knowledge of certain questions that that, that information needed a personal touch. It, it needed a personal experience. And that's something that you're not going to get online. And, and then a couple of years ago, when uh, with my property management business, when I decided that I wanted to move from the Pigeon Forge market to the Myrtle Beach market, I didn't have a clue about the Myrtle Beach market. I read so many articles on the Myrtle Beach market and what that looks like. But to have that person that was someone that I blindly reached out to, that I was able to say, you know this market, you've been in this market well, um, here's what I'm reading, what are you experiencing? And then to say, you know, that, that's that's right in line with what I am, or no, that's not what I'm experiencing at all, Was that, that was priceless to have that person. That a lot of times it was just a text and an address. Looking at this property, what are your thoughts on this one? And I could go to AirDNA or something like that and get all of the data on that property and all of the projections, but to have someone who lives in that community, who knows that community, who's worked in that community for years, to shoot them over an address, what do you think about this? And for them to respond back and say, ah, I don't think that one's going to do so well. I wouldn't, uh, who cares what AirDNA says? Who cares what, what Logify is saying? Here's, here's my thought. You know, maybe that advice was good. Maybe they were going to look at that property and go buy it themselves because they said, oh, he just found a gem and I don't want him to know. You know, but to have that personal connection, that personal touch was invaluable to me. Yeah, I talk with my one of my kids about that all the time. He kind of buys and sells instruments and sometimes he's asking advice or he, he writes a lot of songs and, and things along those lines. And I'm always like, man, you know, just because you're sitting in a restaurant one day listening to a band play and you you churn out three songs on a napkin and you're going, ah, this one's garbage and you just hand it off, like that doesn't mean if that song hits for that band or if it takes off that you're going to, you know, so you kind of want to be like, you know, be wise and be kind to people, but yeah. also, you know, you've got to be smart about those things. But there is a risk when you step into mentor things sometimes and you kind of pitch an idea or you throw something out there that um, that people you know could take what you say, um, and so there's just this trust you have to have with the fact of that man. If if God's called you to it, He'll work through that moment and situations, and He'll protect that. Maybe if that happens, um, it's a lesson. Maybe you know, but good chance God's protecting you from something in that space if somebody kind of robs you of that. And so those are hard things. Those are things that people really think about of like, if I start to give too many ideas, that's why I don't worry about telling people that I want a full set of handbells to do Broadway songs with handbells and have my own YouTube channel. I mean, like nobody's going to take we that idea from me. We all have to have dreams. Yeah, probably. nobody's going to take that idea from me. Zero people. Dreams and, and aspirations. So, yeah, who wants to have a puppet Broadway show? I mean, that would be fun <laughs> with handbell music in the background. That's not going to like 1978 church right there. but um, Hey, Bruce, are you available to talk about a new <laughs> business idea that I've got after we get done? 
<laughs> but yeah, it is a concern. And you mentioned that, and I was thinking that's a scary thing. But we've just got to have enough faith that, man, if people are out there that want to help, that they're willing to help, and they're not going to be selfish in that moment. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things in recap. We're about out of time here. That I think something that I would love for all of our listeners to do is sit down in the next, <clears throat> excuse me, in the next little bit of time, and write down, uh, physically write down all of the different roles that you play in life. Uh, and, and then look and see who is someone that you really look up to and admire that also has that role. Everything from being a parent to being a spouse to being a leader. Um, maybe it's, it's something com- completely off the wall, something completely not related to, uh, to church leadership in any way. Maybe you want to be an author. Maybe you have aspirations to start a podcast. Maybe you want to be a baseball coach. You know, what are, what are these different roles, dreams, hopes that you have? Write them all down and then go through and look at each one of them. And who is someone that you admire? Maybe a group of people, maybe multiple individuals that you admire that you feel like they have something that you could glean from them, something that you could learn from them. And then reach out. It could be as simple as an email. It could be a phone call. Um, it could be a, a message board. It could be through a website platform that you have to fill out a contact form. Reach out and see if they would be willing to be someone that you have in your database that you can reach out to as that you can lean into as circumstances arise, as questions arise, and be prepared to not hear back. The worst that can happen is that you won't hear anything back, or maybe for some of us, the worst that would happen is you would get a no. Uh, that might hurt more than, than not getting a response. But you're going to get over that pretty quickly, especially if it's someone that you don't know. Uh, but the best that can happen is it could change your life. So you're going you're gonna to sit down, you're going to make a list of all the different roles that you play, the hopes and dreams that you have, and identify people that could fill that mentorship role for you in that. And then the hard part, you're going to reach out and then wait and see if you get a response. Guys, you got any final thoughts before we wrap this up today? Well, I would just say to everybody, once you find a mentee and a mentor and you're working with that person, uh, share what you get. Don't just keep what you're getting. Share it with other people and let, help them get be blessed also. They may not have the courage you have to reach out to somebody, but if you gain something uh, from that person and, and you could help others, uh, share it. And I think those two statements are probably the best wrap-up. Go for the no. Ask questions that you feel like you're definitely going to hear no for sometimes, and then don't be don't be a, a, a knowledge or, or journey hog. Like share share the information. Be willing to be kind and generous and put out there because somebody invested in you. Um, you could be the person that helps the next person continue, especially when we're talking about ministry and faith and and moving people you know closer into their next step with Jesus. That's such a big deal. Be willing to share those things and help people journey that stuff. That's great. I love it. All right, guys. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today on this edition of the Small Church Podcast with my hosts, Bruce Montgomery and Robert Kell, who is now officially a part. His name is in the logo. He is featured in the welcome. He is officially now official. Uh, But we want to thank you for listening to this episode that we've called the Tribe of Mentors. If you would like more information or want to, as Bruce said, just want to reach out to how one of us 
can maybe be a voice in your life, you can find us at higherministries.com. Find us on Facebook. Listen, subscribe, like the Small Church Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and even where you don't. Share us with your friends. That's something that you can do to be of great service to other people. We appreciate you listening. Until next time, I'm Tony Marr. Have a great rest of your week.